The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Everlasting Father, we want to say thank you. Our past is full of testimonies and we say thank you for this. Our today is loaded with testimonies and we appreciate you for this. Our tomorrow is guaranteed of testimonies. We give you praise for this upfront, oh God. We say thank you and thank you and thank you. Lord, we commit this session, this word in your hands, oh Lord. We commit, I commit myself in your hands. Commit the errors, oh Lord, in your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, do as you can, oh Lord. Open our ears to hear as we ought to hear. Open our hearts to receive as we ought to receive. And Lord, let our lives be better for your word in the name of Jesus. When we are done, Lord, let your name and your name alone be glorified. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise God. Alright, so as Pastor said, today's topic, we're going to be talking about growth. Today we're going to be talking about growth. You know, and I would like to start this year, this year, 2022, how have you grown? What area of your life have you grown? It's a question we need to all wrestle with. How have you grown this year? God's promise for us this year is that we're going to be limitless. But the truth is that if we are starting from a particular point and God says we're going to be limitless, meaning God is moving us from where we are to a bigger, better, higher, larger place, if we are not growing, we will not be able to receive what God wants to give us. And that takes me to ask you again, how have you grown this year? How have you grown yourself this year? Year 2022 is drawing to an end. It's time for us to have like self-reflection. Because self, self-reflection is good for the soul and it helps you to set yourself on a course. How have you grown this year? Have you even grown at all? Have you even grown at all? We must all realize that there is a need, there is a necessity for us all to grow. Because when we are not growing, we are dying. There's no living thing that just stays stagnant. It's either growing or dying. So how have you grown? There's no plant that just stays as it is. It's either growing or dying. You know, last week at the summer camp for the junior church, we, we, we did um, some agric practicals, you know. So the children and we, we together, we planted some tomato plants outside, uh, outside the uh, sea rock. And as I came to church today, that was the first thing I went to, to check. Oh, wow, the tomatoes growing. And I was excited with what I saw because they are growing very well. They are growing very well. If you are nice to me, by the time we are harvest, I'll give you some. If you are nice to me, only if you are nice. Amen. So everything in life, nothing ever remains static. It's either you are growing or it's dying. Philippians 3.12 says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. This is Paul saying that even him as matured as he is, as a leader in the church as he is, he's saying that, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. Because when you're growing, there's never a cap. You keep growing. Or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Philippians 3.14 also says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So we are continually in a growth race. We are continually expected to be growing and growing and growing. So why should we grow? 
Why should we grow? There's a lot of lessons that we're going to pick from the story that we're going to be sharing today. And I ask that you please be patient with me. Um, when we get home, I'm going to be reading 1 Kings chapter 1, the MSG version. 1 Kings chapter 1, the MSG version. It's a very long read, but I even had to shorten it. Because what I actually wanted us to read is chapter 1 and chapter 2. And that would have been really, really, really long. All right? But we'll read just chapter 1. Then I ask that please, when you get home, try and read chapter 2. So to have a full grasp of what we are talking about. So, talking about growth, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse. 1 Kings chapter 1. Um, yes, it's on the screen, but I will read it from here. MSG version, 1 Kings 1, MSG version. It says, King David grew old. The years had caught up with him, even though they piled blankets on him. He couldn't keep warm. So his servant said to him, we're going to get a young virgin for our master, the king, to be at his side and look after him. She will get in bed with you and, and arouse, <clears throat> she will get in bed with you and <clears throat> our master, the king, you know, we're in church. So they searched the country of Israel for the most ravaging girl they could find. They found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The king, the girl was stunningly beautiful. She stayed at his side and looked after the king. But the king did not have sex. Mm. The king did not have <clears throat> with her. At this time, Adonijah, whose mother was Agit, puffed himself up, saying, I am the next king. He made, a, he made quite a splash with chariots and riders and 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had spoiled him rotten as a child. Yoruba will say, Oti Baje. Mm. His father had spoiled him rotten as a child, never once reprimanding him. Besides that, he was a very good looking, and he was very good looking, and the next in line after Absalom. Adonijah talked with Joab, son of Zeruiah. And with Abiathar the priest, and they threw their weight on his side. But neither the priest, Zadok, nor Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, nor Nathan the prophet, nor Shimei and Ray, nor David's personal bodyguards supported Adonijah. Next, Adonijah held a coronation feast, sacrificing sheep, cattle, and grain-fed aphers at the stone of Zohilit, near the Rogel Spring. He invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and everyone in Judah who had position and influence. But he did not invite the prophet Nathan, Benaiah, the bodyguards, or his brother Solomon. Nathan went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Did you know that Adonijah, Haggit's son, has taken over as king? And our master David does not even know anything about it. Quickly now, let me tell you how you can save both your own life and Solomon's. Go immediately to King David. Speak up. Didn't you, didn't you, my master, the king, promise me your son Solomon will be king after me and sit on my throne? So why is Adonijah now king? While you are here talking with the king, I will come in and corroborate your story. Bathsheba went at once to the king in his father's bedroom. He was so old. Abishag was at his side, making him comfortable. As Bathsheba bowed low, honoring the king, he said, what do you want? My master, she said, you promised me in God's name, your son Solomon will be king after me and sit on my throne. And now look what's happened. Adonijah has taken over as king, and my master, the king, doesn't even know it. He has thrown a huge coronation feast, Cattle and grain-fed ephahs and sheep, inviting all the king's sons, the priest Abiata and Joab, head of the army. But your servant Solomon was not invited. My master, the king, every eye in Israel is watching you to see what you will do, to see who will sit on the throne of my master, the king, after him. If you fail to act the moment you are buried, the moment you are buried, my son Solomon and I are as good as dead. 
Abruptly, while she was telling the king all this, Nathan the prophet came in and was announced. Nathan the prophet is here. He came before the king, honoring him by bowing deeply, his face touching the ground. My master, the king, Nathan began. Did you say Adonijah shall be king after me and sit on my throne? Because that's what's happening. He has thrown a huge coronation feast, cattle, grain-fed heifers, sheep, inviting all the king's sons, the army officers, and Abiathar, the priest. They're having a grand time, eating and drinking and shouting. Long live King Hadonijah. But I wasn't invited, nor was the priest Zadok, nor Beniah, son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Is this something that my master, the king, has done behind our backs? Not telling your servants who you intended to be king after you. King David took action. Gets Bathsheba back in air. She entered and stood before the king. The king solemnly promised, as God lives, the God who delivered me from every kind of trouble, I will do exactly what I promised in God's name. The God of Israel, your son Solomon will be king after me and take my place on the throne and I will make sure it happens this very day. Bathsheba bowed low, her face to the ground, kneeling in reverence before the king. She said, oh, may my master, King David, live forever. King David said, call Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Beniah, son of Jehoiada. They came to the king. Then he, ordered, then he ordered, gather my servants. Then mount my son Solomon on my royal mule and lead him in possession down to Gion. When you get there, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet will anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the, trump, the ram's on trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon! You will then accompany him as he enters and takes his place on my throne. Succeeding me as king, I have named him ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, backed the king. Yes, and may God, the God of my master, the king, confirm it. Just as God has been with my master, the king, may he also be with Solomon and make his rule even greater than that of my master, King David. Then Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benahiah, son of Jehoiada, and the king's personal bodyguard, the Keretites and Peletites went down, mounted Solomon on King David's mule, and paraded with him to Gihon. Zadok the priest brought a flask of oil from the sanctuary and anointed Solomon. They blew the ram's on trumpet, and everyone shouted, Long live King Solomon! Everyone joined the fanfare, the band playing and the people singing. The very earth reverberated reverberating to the sound. Adonijah and his retinue of guests were just finishing their coronation when they heard it. When Job heard the blast of the ram's own trumpet, he said, what's going on here? What's all this uproar? Suddenly, in the midst of the questioning, Jonathan, son of Habiata the priest, showed up. Adonijah said, welcome, a brave and good man like you must have good news. But Jonathan answered, hardly, sir. Our master, King David, has just made Solomon king, and the king has surrounded him with Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and the, with the Keretites and the Peletites. And they've mounted Solomon on the royal mule. Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gion. And the parade is headed up this way, singing a great fanfare. The city is beside itself. That's what you are hearing. He has the crowning touch. Solomon is seated on the throne of the kingdom. Hallelujah. And that's not all. The king's servants have come to give their blessing to our master, King David, saying, God makes Solomon's name even more honored than yours and make his rule greater than yours. On his deathbed, the king worshipped God and prayed, Blessed be God, Israel's God, who has provided his successor to my throne and have lived to see it. Panicked, Adonijah's guest got out of there, scattering every which way. 
I used to think which way is bad English. Scattering every which way. But Adonijah himself, afraid for his life because of Solomon, fled to the sanctuary and grabbed the horns of the altar. Solomon was told, Adonijah, fearful of King Solomon, has taken sanctuary and seized the horns of the altar. And he's saying, I'm not leaving until King Solomon promises that he won't kill me. Solomon then said, if he proves to be a man of honor, not a hair of his head will be hurt. But if there is evil in him, he will die. Solomon summoned him and they brought him from the altar. Adonijah came and bowed down, honoring the king. Solomon dismissed him. Go home. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word in the name of Jesus. Very long read, very interesting story. I will pick a few things from here talking about growth. Because this is the story of the household of David. The very first thing that we'll pick from this story is that we must learn as we grow to learn discipline. To learn discipline. First Kings verse 5 and 6 there says that Adonijah, he was spoiled rotten as a child. Never once was David, did David reprimand him. Never once. Adonijah was spoiled rotten as a child. And I was asking myself, Adonijah is not the firstborn. Amnon was the firstborn. Adonijah is not the secondborn. There's a guy called Chileab. It's not popular in the Bible. Nothing, nothing was said about him other than his name. But he's actually, Chileab is actually the secondborn. Bible historians say that this was the son of Abigail. You know Abigail, Nabal's wife? Nabal's wife? Yep. So he was not the second born. Absalom was the third born. Before it even gets to Adonijah. He's not the last born. So why come he was spoiled rotten? According to scriptures, if indeed he was spoiled rotten, it must mean also that all the other children too were spoiled rotten. Because they were sons of the king. And one of the key, key things that you know about children that are spoiled is that they want to have anything they want. If they see it, they like it, they just want to take it. They don't care what it costs. They don't care who put it there. They just want to take it. And I'm pretty sure Solomon was also in the same scenario. Otherwise, how do you explain a single man, Solomon, having 700 wives and 300 cucumbines. What it must mean is that maybe he was married to someone from Israel. Then as he went on one of his travels, or maybe the people that came to trade in the land, a Chinese person just comes, and he says, Ah, what's your name? Chin Chong Chu. I like you. You become my wife. Get into the palace. Case closed. And the next time, it is someone from India. What is your name? My name is Ranjiv. <laughs> I like your name. Get inside. You have become my wife. Anything he sees, anyone he sees, he just keeps taking and taking and taking. Sign of someone that's not disciplined. Sign of someone that's not disciplined. And the same thing extends to Adonijah. Adonijah is not the first in line to the throne. He's not the second in line to the throne. Scripture says he's actually the third in line to the throne. And he just woke up one day and said, look, David is old. I am now the king. Sign of someone without discipline. And he immediately said, I am the king. And he began to plan his own way of becoming the king. How does this apply to us? You know, in today's world, you know, before we talk about how it applies to us, it's key to understand. I'm asking myself, as I was reading the scriptures, David grew up a tough boy. Tough. Tough meaning is he has seen life. He has seen life. Let me put it that way. He grew up in his father's house, but his siblings did not even consider him one of them. Even his father did not even be, consider him a true son. Because when, remember the story, when Samuel came, bring your sons, they brought out six of them. And God told Samuel, he's not one of these. 
And Samuel had to ask, ah, ah. I said, bring out all your sons, and you brought these ones. Is there still one missing? And I said, oh, okay, okay, okay. There's one, one of them is somewhere. Yeah, go and send for him. That's how much he was not even considered. So he must have been a survivor, a fighter, always struggling to get anything in life. What was he, what did he grow up doing? He was a shepherd boy. Not only was he a shepherd boy, he endangered his life a number of times. Remember the story? The lion came. I fought. God delivered the lion. The, the lion. The bear came. I fought. God delivered the bear. So he lived a tough life. It wasn't an ajebo on any standards. And what I see with a lot of us that live those kind of life is that when we now grow up and we begin to have our children, we don't want our children to experience any toughness. So they begin to grow up and become ajebo. We are at times even proud when you say, ah, your, this your child just looks like ajebo, you know, very fresh, doesn't even know anything. They have to know some things, though. They have to know how life is, real life. Because when they don't, they begin to behave like someone that's not disciplined. They begin to behave like someone that's not disciplined. That's why you see children that are not disciplined, they throw tantrums when they want something and paraventure they can't get it. They throw a tantrum. They create a scene. I was watching a clip on TikTok yesterday. A very funny clip. Was, uh, there, was a, there was a father who was on his, on his computer. He was working and eating granite and enjoying himself. Meanwhile, his son was in the background crying and shouting and wailing. The man was just walking. It was, it was as if the, the boy did not even exist. Then the tagline was there was that this is how I train my son when he insists on having his way. You know, we need to at times get to that point. For, for him, I would say it's, it's, it's even good for him that he's trying to correct it when it's not too late. But for your son to even get to the point where you're, get, where you're throwing tantrums, where he's able to, able, let me put it that way, where he's able to throw tantrums, that means he, he, he was being privileged. Tantrums begin to occur when you begin to now try to uh, withdraw those privileges. Praise the Lord. Discipline. We must grow up and learn discipline. We need to also check ourselves, not even our children alone. How, from the beginning of this year till now, how have we been disciplining ourselves? What do we do to develop ourselves? How have we exercised discipline? In what area of our lives have we been exercising some form of discipline to make us better people? Check and ask yourself, how, where? The second thing we must learn from this story is that God expects all of us to grow. God expects all of us to grow. And so many reasons why we have to grow. But I'll just take this scripture. It says, 1 Corinthians 13, 10 to 11. 1 Corinthians 13, 10 to 11 says, But when that which is complete and perfect comes, that which is incomplete and partial will pass away. That is, we, we, we all have a position in our lives that we would say, okay, is a complete and perfect position temporarily. Because again, when we get to that point, we realize that we can still grow beyond it. When I was a child, I talked like a child, which is okay when you are a child. I thought like a child, which is fine if you are a child. I reasoned like a child, which is okay, perfectly okay. When you are a child. But when I became a man, a man, I did away with childish things. There is a time to behave like a child. And there is a time to grow up. Nowadays, we see some people that are adults. Physiologically. Matured physiologically. But they are still childish in their behaviors. They are still childish in their thinking. They are still childish in their talk. God is saying, no, 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 you can't stay in that position. You 
are expected to grow. Third lesson to pick from this book, from this uh, scripture that we read, is that if you are not growing, you will get outgrown. Because in that place where you are, you are not alone. And it's a very competitive world. If you are not growing, you will get outgrown. Think about it. David was old. So old that he could not even get out of the bed anymore. I mean, scriptures describe it as his deathbed. Solomon had been told, you will be king. Ordinarily, where should Solomon be? Shouldn't he be beside the king, waiting for the last moments? Or should he not even be talking to the king and say, my father, my father, you're on the deathbed. I know you can't take action. You can't do anything again. Can I start acting? Can I start stepping in your shoes? Because technically, that's what Adonijah demanded for. And because David was not growing into that position, the entire nation was waiting for a leader. They were just waiting and saying, okay, what next? What's the next phase for us as a people? David was old. He couldn't even get out of his bed anymore. And Adonijah just showed up and said, look, I'm going to take this thing, Emilokon. Yeah, what do you think? Isn't that what he did? He said it was his turn. I'm, I'm taking it. Whether he had the capability, whether he had the anointing, whether he had the blessing from God for it, whether he had the blessing of his father, Emilokon, that's all that was important. It, it, took, it took people that had grown, like Nathan, that understood how some of these things work to intervene before there could be a reversal. There's always competition around. Even though God had said that Solomon was going to be the king, Adonijah was there as competition. If not that Am, uh, Absalom killed Amnon and Absalom also died, they would also have been contesting for that position. It's always competition. So where you think you are right now, where you are trusting that God will take you to, there is competition there waiting for you. If you don't grow into that place, you will be outgrown. And not only can you be outgrown, even from the people you will call, maybe like your enemies, at times also God can even orchestrate you out of that place if you refuse to grow. What do I mean? Let's look at the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19 and 18. Elijah had just defeated all the prophets of Baal in the land. Elijah had just performed a great miracle in the eyes of all of Israel. The Bible says all of the prophets were killed. All the prophets of Baal. Now, the ruler of the land at that time was um, Naboth, right? Ahab. Yeah, Ahab. And his wife was Jezebel. After he had killed the prophets, think about this. After he had killed all the prophets that Ahab and Jezebel depended on for power, then Jezebel, who no longer had the backing of, his, of her gods, Jezebel, who no longer had prophets to run to, was still throwing empty threats at Elijah. And Elijah was panicking. Elijah panicked so much, the Bible says that he ran for his life. I mean, think about it. Should you not have the wisdom and understanding that uh, uh, you that have cut off all your wings? You are just doing shakara. But he ran for his life. Not only did he run, he was now complaining and lamenting to God. God, now you send me, oh. See what's happening now. I'm the only prophet remaining standing. And God is looking at him and saying, what's wrong with this boy? He said, I'm tired. God says, okay, you are tired. No problem. Go and get Elisha. Elisha is going to replace you. So God replaced him because he did not grow into what God wanted to do with him. God himself. 
So that possibility exists there that when God is saying he's taking us into a new level, if we refuse to grow and move and build capacity for that new level, if God says he wants to make us limitless and we refuse to grow our capacity so that we can take all that God wants to bring to us, God can look for someone else to put into that thing. That would not be your portion in the name of Jesus. So the onus is on us to ensure that we grow. The fourth thing we learn from this story is that even the society that we live in, the society, the people that we relate with on a day-to-day basis, they expect us to grow. Like I said earlier, David was old. David could not take decisions anymore. All he was just doing was waiting for God to take the breath out of him. And he goes to meet God. So he couldn't really perform anymore administratively. He couldn't perform anymore uh, financially. He couldn't perform anymore uh, if they had a, a reason to go to war. He couldn't do any of that. He was just there. Bible says on his deathbed. Not very functional anymore. And the entire nation seemed to just be grinding to a halt. Nathan, Bathsheba, all of them too were just waiting. They were walking and saying, okay, so what next? What do we do next? If Saul had stepped up, sorry, Solomon, if Solomon had stepped up to the game and walked up to his father on the deathbed and said, my father, my king, You've done amazing for us as a people. God has blessed you. God has given you plenty of sons. And God has even told you that I will be king. But now you are on the deathbed. Can I begin to run the administration of this land? Can I begin to, to take charge? Do you think David would have denied him? But he himself was just jollofing in a way. Why do I say he's jollofing? Think about it. Adonijah planned a coup, because that's what it is, planned a coup to become king. When Solomon knew that he was supposed to be king, Nathan knew about it, came to tell Bathsheba in the palace. Solomon was not there. When they were even planning how they were going to counter the coup with David, Solomon was not even around. Maybe it was with one concubine somewhere. Jollofin, because that's all he knows how to do. Jollofin, enjoying life. Ibadun boy. Enjoying. So he was not even in the picture. He didn't even know what was going on. He didn't even know what was going on. But Nathan said something. He said, if Adonijah becomes king, Solomon is a dead man. Bathsheba is a dead man. Even me, Bathsheba is a dead woman. Even me, I am a dead person. So we must not allow this to happen. So what that tells me is that when we we, we take advantage of growth or we do not grow, it affects the people around us. It affects the people that God has put around you. Because Solomon's lack of growth and embracing the throne put the life of his mom, the life of the prophet Nathan, and the life of Benaiah, the, 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 the soldier, the, the Pelotites and the Keratites, he put the life of the guards, David's special guards, he put their life, all of them, at risk. Because if Adonijah had had his way, the first thing you do when you become new, whatever, take out all the people that could upset you. They would have all gone. So the society, the, responsi- the responsibility to grow is not only on us alone. We have to know that our lack of growth affects the society around us. It affects the people around us. I gave an example earlier on. I said at a, a, a number of times, I see people that just got married, maybe one year, two years, then for some reasons, the guy maybe seeking counsel or maybe just complaining generally or maybe he begins to fight his wife and is complaining and saying, I don't even know why I married this woman. It's as if she has brought bad luck. 
We've had that story before, right? How many of us have had that kind of complaint or you've heard about it? That this woman just brought bad luck into my life. I know before I got married, I used to have savings. When I collect my salary, I will have enough to save. Now, since I got married, I don't even, I'm working and I don't even know where my money is going. Have we heard that before? The problem is not the girl. If you are here, you are in that position. Listen to me. The problem is not the girl. The problem is you not growing. What do I mean? If you are earning 100,000 a month, just for purpose of discussion, and that takes care of you, maybe you spend 80,000 or 90,000, and you are able to save 10,000 every month, then you carry a whole human being that now becomes responsible. You are responsible for the person. And you are still earning 100,000. Where are you going to see savings? How? Can you see where the problem is right now? The problem is not the girl. It's not bad luck. The problem is you. So turn to your neighbor and say, grow up, grow up, grow up. Grow up. Because it's important. It's important that we all find ways to grow. As I said earlier, if you are not growing, you're dying. Anything, nothing remains stagnant. Nothing that is alive remains stagnant. It's either growing or dying. So there are four areas of, of our lives that we want to pick on today that we need to grow in. There are four areas. And we'll pick up these four from the scripture in Luke 2, 52. Luke chapter 2, 52. When we keep talking about growing, it's very quick for us to just talk about spiritual growth because we're in church. All right, but this is an example of how Jesus grew up because he said in Luke 2, 52, he says, Jesus increased. That is, Jesus grew. Jesus increased in wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. Jesus increased in stature and in favor of God and man. So those are the four areas that we need to grow in. Wisdom, stature, favor of God, favor of man. And we'll break those ones down. We'll break them down very quickly and we'll round up. The first area is in wisdom. We need to grow in wisdom. We need to grow in wisdom. This speaks to psychological growth. Psychological growth. Jesus himself is the embodiment of wisdom. We all know that. A number of times it comes with questions, tough questions for him. Oh, this woman was caught in adultery. What would you do? You see how he cleverly gave them a response based on wisdom. Anyone that has not seen before, cast the first stone. They came to meet him. Oh, master, master, should we be paying uh, taxes to... Uh, the, the Romans, to Caesar. Should we be paying taxes to Caesars by wisdom? He knew what they wanted to do. They wanted to put Sansan in his gary. He said, get me a coin. Whose picture is on it? Give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Wisdom. Wisdom. Question is, what does wisdom mean? Wisdom is simply the application of the knowledge that you know. The things you know. Is the application of that knowledge that's what makes you wise. A number of times, Jesus could have died. For example, in Luke 4, 29. Luke 4, 20, let's read from 28 to 29. If you, if you back up, the story should come up on the screen. Luke 4, 28 to 29. The story says about when Jesus had preached in a particular village, and they were not happy with what they heard. They were not happy with the sermon that he preached. And the scripture says there, he said, that set, I mean the teaching, that set everyone in the meeting place, seething with anger. They threw, they, they threw him out, banishing him from the village. Then they took him to a mountain cliff at the edge of the village to throw him to his doom. Next. But he gave them the sleep and was on his way. Jesus had the knowledge that, yes, I've come to this world to die for you and I, but that's not how I'm going to die. 
So he used the fact that he knew that that was not how he was going to die. He had the power all along as he was preaching, as they were getting angry. He had the power to just say, all of you that are getting angry, just keep quiet. He had the power. He allowed them to push him and push him to get to the edge of the cliff. Then he just turned and walked through them. The Bible says he gave them a slip away. He had the power, but he did not use it anyhow. That's, that's, that's wisdom. So you now, when, you say, when we say that you need to grow in wisdom, how do you apply the knowledge? The knowledge of the things you know, your business, you've been running it for a while, the, the knowledge you have gathered, how do you apply it now and turn it to wisdom over your competition? How do you apply it? How do you, do it, how do you apply it in such a way that it gives you an edge in the industry? Or maybe you are married. You are married. You know some specific things about your spouse. What do you do about that knowledge? I'll give an example. In the first service, I'll give an example in the first service. You are a woman. You've been married to your husband. And you know that he's always, he's, he's fit. He's always wet. Always sweaty. And of course, that translates to mean that it's very likely that his shoes will be smelling. And you know, you women, God gave you extra sensitive nose. I don't know why. Just God, just, I mean, the things we will not smell. Women will smell it and they will be complaining that we are not smelling it. Anyway, that's a separate discussion. When we get to heaven, we'll find out why God did that. To torture us men. So, that is a fact. It is the knowledge you know. The guy's shoes are always smelling. What do you do with that knowledge? Every time he comes into the house and takes off his shoes, do you shout on him? Oh, you've brought that your smelly shoe into this place again. What, don't, don't, you, don't, don't you know what to do? Why is your feet is always smelly? Are you the only one? Is that what you do with that knowledge? Or do you take your time and say, look, Sweetheart, give me a few thousand naira there. Let me go and get a shoe rack for you. And I'll put it outside so that when you come, before you enter, just hang your shoes there so that you don't bring the smell inside. Wisdom. Wisdom. Because the guy, of course, doesn't want to just unnecessarily upset you by bringing the shoe inside. Only that at times we don't think about all those small, small things like rack. That's the way we are. We don't. Guys, do you feel me? We don't, do those, we don't think of those small, small solutions. We think about the bigger issues. The bigger issues like Ukraine and Russia war. Those are serious matters to talk about. You are talking about shoe smelling. Yes. We think about February 2023. Who's going to be the next president in Nigeria? You are saying my shoe is smelling. Is that important? I mean, guys, are we, am I wrong? I'm on point, Abby. So please understand us. You are a woman. You are a man now also. Let me talk about old. You are a man. You have a wife. For some reasons, maybe you don't like the way she cooks. Maybe she is always adding too much salt to the food. Or she doesn't know how to cook some special things that you like. What do you do? Every time there's excess salt, what do you do? Madam, I am tired of eating in this house. Kilo day, I go out, I walk, I give you money. Ordinary to cook is a problem. Ah, uh -uh. is that what you do? The guys are quiet now. Is that what you do? Or you use the knowledge which you have, which is the fact that, okay, she has too much salt. How can you help her? What if you go on YouTube and go and subscribe to a food channel there where they can teach ah food and send her the link? Or get into the kitchen and cook for her and show her? Yes, now. Yes, now. I don't like cooking, but I cook in my house. Yes, yeah, ah, you say ah. ah newlywed, and you are not cooking. 
Abi, I cook. I mean, two weeks ago, I cooked one. Oh, don't let me make your mouth to be watering this morning. Should I tell them? Eh? <laughs> two weeks ago, I cooked one special okra soup like that. Even when my wife saw it, she said, ah, ah. I think she was fasting that day. She almost broke her fast. <laughs> she said, ah, ah. And the next time, she actually came to meet me. I said, look, give me the recipe. And I did. And last week, she made the same thing, and I too, I badoned it. Yeah. Praise the Lord. So what do you do with knowledge that you know? Do you use that knowledge constructively, or you use it negatively? If it's constructive, then that knowledge has translated to wisdom. Wisdom helps you to think before speaking. Wisdom helps you to, take, to do the right thing at the right time. Because there's always a window of opportunity for everything you want to do. Wisdom. The second area that Jesus grew is that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Stature is the next, where, next place he, 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 he grew. Apart from the fact that all through the 33 years that Jesus lived and the record that we have in the Bible, there was never a record of any time that he was sick or tired. So, Divine health is actually our portion. Divine health is actually our portion. It is the frailty of the world that allows us to be sick occasionally. But when we know who we are and what we stand for and what we can hold on to, we can claim onto that divine health. Hallelujah. John 2, 13 to 16 tells you a little about the stature that we're talking about in, of Jesus. John 2, 13 to 16. Please bring it up. This was Jesus coming into Jerusalem and getting into the temple and seeing that they had turned the temple into a marketplace. And what did he do? I'll read. When the Passover feast celebrated each spring by the Jews was about to take place, Jesus traveled up to Jerusalem. He found the temple teeming with people selling cattle and sheep and doves. The loan sharks. How many of you know have ever dealt with loan sharks before? You know these people that borrow money at high percentage. They are vicious people. When you collect money from them and they need to collect it back, they are mean. They don't play with their money. They can do anything. The loan sharks were also there in full strength. Jesus put together a whip, a koboko, Jesus alone put together a whip out of strips of leather and chased them out of the temple, stampeding the sheep and cattle, upending the tables of the loan sharks, spilling coins left and right. He told the dove merchants, get your things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall. Think about it. The picture that's maybe uh, TV, cinemas, and the likes, have shown to us about Jesus, is that Jesus is one gentle, slim-looking guy. Can a slim-looking guy do this? Businessmen, not ordinary businessmen, loan sharks in the temple. And I'm sure they would have even paid the Pharisees and Sadducees to get their shop space. Then one Janjala person will come with Koboko to chase them and they will run. Jesus had to be strong. Jesus had to be masculine, macho man, that they were afraid of him. So when he brought Koboko, all of them ran. Because they know that if he, if he gets more angrier, maybe one, one slap, 54 down. You get my point? So Jesus is, was not someone very smallish like that. He had a huge frame. He didn't get it in one day. He must have built it as he was growing. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. It's not a one-day activity. He was growing and building and growing and building it up. When was the last time you exercised? When was the last time? You exercise. Ask your neighbor. Ask your neighbor. Ask your neighbor. Ask your neighbor. And get an answer. 
Ah, some of you are even afraid to ask. <laughs> Don't worry now. <laughs> Just ask. It's to encourage you. If your neighbor has not exercised, that is to encourage you that you are not alone, but you can start. If your neighbor has exercised, that is also to encourage you that you too, you can do it. Amen? Amen. God expects us to be fit. Why? Because our body is the temple of God. Our bodies are the temple of God. I mean, I shared a video in the men's, uh, men's WhatsApp group this week. You know, it was a video of uh, Pastor Matthew Ashimolo. You know, for sake of time, we can't watch, we can't show the video. He's 70 years old now. So they were now asking him about um, how does he keep fit? How does he keep looking so young and everything? The things he was sharing with us, ah, me, I was afraid though. For example, he said he hadn't taken a soda drink, soda, Coke, Fanta, Sprite. He hadn't taken a drink in 25 years. 25 years. He said he hasn't taken a bar in 24 years. Should I shock you? He said he hasn't taken rice in 25 years. That's how he's fit at 70. Why? Because those things don't add to us. He said something that will rest the matter for all of you. He said, he said look, 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 look. I have never seen a fat old man before. Let that sink. So all the food you are eating, you cannot use it to hard weight. It can only draw back your health. Some of you need to start a 90-day fasting from now. 90 days. Marathon. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. Third, in favor with God. This speaks to spiritual growth. This speaks to spiritual growth. It's absolutely important that we all have a very good relationship with God. A very good and sound relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because this is the foundation of our Christian life. When we want to do anything, when we want to take a step, we want to take an action, we need to be able to ask Holy Spirit, what would you have me do? How do, should I go about this thing? If you don't have a relationship with God, it will be difficult for you to, make, to, 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 to be able to progress as, as fast as you want to. I got it. I'm running out of time, so I need to run. So we need to grow spiritually. We need to grow spiritually. Galatians 5.16. Please bring it on the screen. Galatians 5.16 talks about walking in the spirit. As we grow with God, we must know that our daily lives, we must be walking with God. Galatians 5.16, please bring it up. It says, my counsel is this. Live freely animated and motivated by God's spirit, then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. Give me the NLT version, please. NLT version, please. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. That's it. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. When the Holy Spirit is guiding your life, when you are in tune with God, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature is craving for. So as Jesus was growing in wisdom, he was growing in stature, he maintained and kept growing in his relationship with God. That's why he was always quick to go and find a place to pray, always quick to hide and go and pray. Because he knew that in spite of the fact that he had the power, he, had, he could walk on water. He could call fish. Fish will produce money. They came to arrest him. He could have arrested them. Peter, uh, I brought out sword, called off one of them. He said, calm down. I beg, take your hair. Baka. He had the power. He could do anything he wanted to do. Why? Because he maintained his connection with God at all times. 
we can do so much more than where we are right now if we can also establish our a right connection with God. And finally, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. This speaks to social growth. It speaks to our social relevance. It speaks to our social importance. When people see you in your neighborhood, what do they say about you? When people see you and mingle with you, what feeling do you leave behind with them? I remember there was this particular day. Um, it was about maybe four or five years ago. I, I can't remember um, when exactly. But there was this lady I saw somewhere. I knew that I knew her. I didn't even know exactly where I remember, where I knew her way back. But as I saw her, I knew that I knew her. And I knew that when I knew her, she left a good impression with me. It was when she had gone that I now remembered, oh, we did IT together long time ago, where, where I did my IT then, National Oil, back then. But all I could remember was the impression she, she left with me. As I saw her, I saw her face, and I knew, wow, this is a nice girl, a wonderful girl. Oh, that's all, I couldn't even remember her name. I couldn't even approach her to say, okay, I know you or I don't know you, because I wasn't sure at that instance. And you know how it is in Lagos, so that they don't think you are toasting them or something now. I, I had to back off. But later I now remember, I said, yes, we were in National Oil together. Very pleasant, very helpful girl. I think she was in the reception at that time. I just remembered when people meet with you, when people engage with you, what impression do you leave with them? What impression do you leave with them? Because God expects us to begin to grow in influence. The influence you have is not necessarily over your children or over your workers alone. You need to have influence in your society. You need to have influence in your neighborhood. You need to have influence in, in your, your community, in your WhatsApp group. What impression are you living with people? People are bound to make mistakes. People are bound to wrong us. People are bound to, I mean, commit blunders. This story we heard, we read today. When Adonijah crowned himself as king, who came to meet Beersheba? Nathan. Nathan, the prophet. This was the same Nathan that came to confront David about this same Bathsheba when they committed adultery and David killed Bathsheba's wife. If Nathan was a prophet today, he would have excommunicated David from the church and said, David, you can never come to church again. You are a sinner. You killed someone. We don't want to associate with you. Go to another church. As a matter of fact, that church you want to go, we will write a letter to them over there so that they will know what you have done. Human beings, very unforgiving. But God doesn't work like that. As we can see, Nathan stayed with them. They had another child called Solomon. That child has now grown up to the point that he's grown enough to become a king. And Nathan stayed with them, forgetting things of the past. My brothers, my sisters, there are people in your life that will sin, that will commit errors, that will do things that you least expect. Forgive them and move on. Because you don't know what the future lies ahead. What future lies ahead? You don't. You don't know what God is still going to use that mess to turn to a message. You don't know. It's only today we can know. We, 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 we are human beings. We will commit errors. Move beyond it. Move beyond it. Move beyond it. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Jesus did not dis discriminate in any way when he was choosing his friends, when he was choosing the, 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 the disciples, or when he was mingling and, uh, and, and talking to people about, uh, about heaven. Jesus did not choose the circle of people he was going to engage with. He mixed with the rich and the poor. 
he mixed with the educated and, un and the uneducated. He mixed with the sinful and the righteous. He mixed with those in government and those out of government. He mixed with those in the temple and those not in the temple. He mixed with murderers. While on the cross, he was even hanging with the murderers. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. 